0: friends. This is Dr. Michael Williams, and welcome to another episode of the Diversifying Path podcast. This podcast explores how investing in diversity can lead to a high return of investment in pathology and laboratory medicine by from the knowledge and experiences of diverse places within our field. Our next guest is Dr. Ryan Brown. Dr. Brown is a board-certified A.P.C.P. pathologist with additional board certification in dermatopathology. Her interests include soft tissue, cutaneous lymphoma, and histiocytic, histiocytic neoplasms. Upon completion of a combined M.D./M.B.A. at Baylor College of Medicine in Rice University, Dr. Brown pursued residency training in anatomic and clinical pathology. Followed by Surgical Pathology and Dermatopathology Fellowships at Stanford University. She remains an active member of the Stanford faculty as a clinical assistant professor of pathology and, by courtesy, dermatology. She also works as a general pathologist at the B.A. Paul Alto. Without further ado, here is Dr. Ryan Brown. All right. Welcome again, everybody, to the podcast. I'm here with my next guest, Dr. Ryan Brown. Uh, so Dr. Brown, can you tell us who you are, where you are from, and your pronouns?
1: Sure, my uh, pronouns are she and her. I am clinical assistant professor at Stanford. I'm also co-appointed at the Palo Alto VA. I also do a couple of private practice gigs on the side part-time. It is my fourth year of practice. And I should say that I do, um, for Stanford, I do dermatopathology. And for my other endeavors, I do whatever comes in the door. So very much also a general surgical pathologist as well.
0: Oh, okay. What did you do your training?
1: So I did med school at Baylor in Houston. Uh And then I did uh, anatomic pathology and clinical pathology residency training at Stanford followed by a general surgical pathology fellowship and dermatopathology fellowships, both at Stanford.
0: When did you realize like derm- dermatopathology was for you?
1: So it was during my first year, uh-huh. Gina Kim took me under her wing she was a dermatopathologist at Stanford and she gave me projects to do and really just sort of mentored me and I felt very at home in derm path so that was a little bit of a surprise to me because coming into residency I was like oh heme path because in medical school you know Mm -hmm. the blood smears is a little bit of the first taste a lot of medical students get to pathology and so that was the same for me and I assumed I would do heme path but then I was sucked into derm path and I haven't looked back yeah
0: (laughs) it's interesting in terms of um like residents like hearing derm path I remember when I was applying uh going through the interview trail it just seemed like derm path sound like it was one of the most competitive like subspecialties of pathology to get into and just just in case we have new awesome listeners who don't who are not really familiar with dermatopathology can you explain a bit about what what it is
1: absolutely so we are the pathologists who specialize in skin specimens and skin diagnoses so um, anything that a dermatologist biopsies at stanford comes to the dermatopathologist to sign out
0: okay and and for your fellowship you you did like the clinical, there was like a clinical aspect along with the scope aspect, like kind of a six months of clinical. Exactly. sequence. Okay.
1: Well, so the rules for the DermPath Fellowship are that you have to see dermatopathology at the scope every day of your fellowship. You also, if you're pathology trained, you have to see a thousand patients. So there w- wow. I did spend some afternoons in clinics, shadowing mm-hmm. in different um, outpatient clinics and some inpatient opportunities as well. So yeah, because the clinical is so, it's important in all of pathology, right? But the way a rash right. looks, the way a lesion looks is so critical to a, a derm path diagnosis that it really is key for people who are trained in pathology to get that exposure.
0: So it's not like you can look yeah. at an endoscope a and be like, oh, it, it's, this is lupus, like kind of like a house diagnosis. This is more of just right, the clinical. Right. <laughs>
1: You need the clinical. <laughs> now, sometimes you can just be like, "Hey, this does this looks like lupus?" and then you see the clinical, and you're like, "Yeah, it's still lupus." So right. there are a lot of things that are just straight up; they are what they are. But mm-hmm. for some of the more um, non-specific looking diseases under the scope, like you need a lot of clinical, and you've got to work closely with your clinicians to arrive at the diagnosis.
0: So let's transition a yeah. little back when you were in medical school, because you also have an MBA. When you were in medical school, was that something you also thought about as well? Too? Like what, what initiated you to go get the MBA?
1: You know, I kind of did it on a whim. I have to be honest. I had always gravitated towards or had been nominated for leadership positions. And so I was like, oh, and I also was at a point in medicine where I was like, man, I really don't like rounding. I don't like mm-hmm. writing these long patient notes. I, I didn't like it. So it was an opportunity for me to kind of stay p- take a step back, Mm reevaluate what I wanted from a career in medicine, what I would be interested in. And so that's kind of why I did business school. It just seemed like an opportunity to nurture the side of myself that had been apparent, but I hadn't really been doing anything actively to nurture my leadership position, uh, potential or anything like that, Mm -hmm. and an opportunity to explore other fields in medicine that I had not been exposed to. And that's actually my time during my MBA is when I started shadowing pathologists. And that's when I started to fall in love with pathology and made the decision. I felt like so much purpose and Mm -hmm. comfort watch over, wash over me. The first time I looked in a microscope at patient tissue that I knew from that moment on that I was going to be a pathologist and the reassurance of Mm. that moment in um, sort of like affirming a career in medicine for me was really powerful. So I can thank my MBA for giving me that time to
0: explore other things. <laughs> and when you were shadowing the pathologist during the MBA, was it a required sort of rotation that you were doing like like third year or, or was it part of some sort of project that you were doing?
1: No, it was just me emailing people, desperate mm-hmm. being like, hey, you know, can I come shadow you? And actually Dr. Deborah Kearney who is a, a pediatric pathologist at Texas Children's. She was like, yeah, come, come by. And she mm-hmm. introduced me to people there. She had me shadow her. She sh- had me shadow some of her colleagues. And so she's really the one who opened the door for my experiences in pathology.
0: And now you're part of the path yeah. family. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know here to stay. not looking back. It's the best kept secret in medicine. Hands down.
0: I know. I know. I feel like it's one of those things that I've, if- People knew, I mean, I'm boasting about it, but I, because I switched, and I was happy switching right. residencies, and like, when I yeah. got here, I was like, wow, this is amazing, but, you know, we don't get much exposure to it, well, I did it, throughout um, med school, like, it was basically just the first two years was Gullion and Pathology for Step 1, yeah. and then, you know, that was about it, so, yes. Yeah,
1: that's... <laughs> That's pretty standard, you know, and Mm -hmm. people are really sleeping on our specialty. They're really missing out. And I think one of the reasons why we don't have as many people of color in Mm -hmm. pathology is because you kind of have to see yourself in a role to to even know to pursue that role. You know what I mean? And if you just are not exposed to, number one, people in the field who can mentor you. And number two, people in the field who can mentor you who look like you. Mm-hmm. Or who have mm-hmm. had similar experiences, similar background. I think it could be kind of really an elusive field for people who don't have that exposure.
0: And talking about when you did your clinicals for your fellowship, was there much people of color uh, for patients in your in the during your rotations? No. no,
1: no, really not at all. Not not much at all. And that is kind of a recognized thing for for the. The program here is that there's just the in the Bay Area, just the people of color community in Palo Alto where we are. It's just not as much. I have a, a colleague who made the comment like there are more Priuses than black people in Palo Alto, and I wow. you know, we we kinda like sadly joke about that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but it really is kind of a downside.
0: I was talking to Dr. Betty Yaboa about about the dermatology aspect um, and skin tones, in uh, the fact that yeah. for example, I mean I, I say lupus, but the, you know the, just the discoid rash that comes up with that malar rash sorry that uh, we're taught about, we've seen in a lot of skin tones, mm-hmm. but in terms of wait like, derma- like for those who have different or darker skin tones is you know would that diagnosis be made um, or would a biopsy even be something that somebody would think of to go and do just because I guess older textbooks don't have those different skin tones to correlate with the disease.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And even if you do the biopsy, actually getting to the diagnosis can be challenging, too. I had a case, for example,
0: Mm -hmm. of
1: um, a condition that's not been really reported in people of color. And I was like, I'm sorry, this is the diagnosis. This is what I'm seeing on the scope. And, and, And it took kind of the clinical team a moment to be like, wait, the reason why it's not described in people of color is because... Under reporting, under sampling, under recognition in that patient population—not so much so that this can occur in that patient population—and so there's so many roadblocks along the way, mm-hmm. external, internal to us, that can keep patients of color from getting the correct diagnosis. That I think we really have to be mindful of.
0: Has there been a time when you factored that when you are looking, like under a microscope or looking at a slide? Um, In the clinical history, do you kind of take more time with that case just because of the fact that the biopsies or, you know, diagnostically, there's not a lot of sampling of that? Yeah, I actually
1: do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I'll pull up the clinical photo and I'll I'll think, like, I really want to know how this looks for this person on the skin tone. And I want to learn more from this case and, and just not dismiss anything because of... Any presumptions about race And, and, and disease mm-hmm. associations And also on the flip side I also don't want to be like You know every time a young black male With a rash comes in I don't want to be ordering a syphilis stain You know what I mean There's like
0: mm-hmm. oh, yeah. there's yeah.
1: You also have to stop yourself for, From looking at things Because of those Sort of question stems That we've been exposed to Our whole life <laughs> Yeah. that are really kind of stereotypical, you know, and that could lead mm-hmm. to certain practice behaviors that are not necessarily optimal. So I, I kind of look at it from both ways. I don't want to be over-diagnosing things that aren't relevant, and I also don't want to be under-recognizing things that just because they're under-reported in this patient population.
0: Is this something that is brought up in the, like, Dartmouth community?
1: You know, I can't say that I have been a part of any broader discussions mm-hmm. specifically to DermPath. But I will, I will say that in dermatology, especially at Stanford, they have been very attuned to um, issues and, and sort of underrepresentation in our patient population and potential biases we may have because mm-hmm. of that and they have made a concerted effort to have people come in and give us lectures and um, talk about different diseases and skin of color. And I know when I lecture, I include skin of color slides mm-hmm. in my my PowerPoints just for that reason. And so there has been a concerted effort, I think, mm-hmm. um, just in general in dermatology, but not specifically in like DermPath that I know of. Right. I'm, I'm sure someone is working on it. Mm-hmm. I just have not been a part of that effort.
0: If somebody in the Durham Path community knows, hey, y'all, let us know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> please. What's happening? Do you try to encourage, like, BIPOC or any, or, or everybody of diverse backgrounds um, to come to pathology when you do see a medical student or or a potential, or a potential medical student, or even a potential medical student, oh, yeah. i say that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I talk up pathology to every, <laughs> everyone who's thinking about a career in medicine or who's mm-hmm. a medical student who's thinking about what to go into. I don't want to dissuade someone from mm-hmm. going into another specialty that they're in love with, but I certainly think making sure you explore all your options and making right. sure pathology is something that y- you're you're definitely not interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, actively making sure that it would would serve you so much because there's so much so much benefit uh-huh. the flexibility the independence the um, like you know i can sign out a case at at midnight if i wanted to uh-huh.
0: you know uh-huh.
1: i can't send a patient appointment for midnight
0: uh-huh.
1: you know when you have a full day of clinic and you have patients scheduled the flexibility around that is really not that much but when it comes to signing out cases in pathology there's a fair amount of flexibility right baked into our careers
0: yeah no i I agree that's it. that's a, one thing that I think too when I switch from surgery where it was like yeah. the rounding um and let me preface this is it was just me personally like the rounding the writing notes um the floor duties just and it wasn't it it wasn't like for me, and I just didn't see myself practicing medicine that way, and it's needed. Yeah, and there's people like I have friends right now, good friends who are still surgery residents and about to be attending O.R. surgical attendings, and they love it. Like one loves the ICU yeah. so much, he's like it's great and all that. And I was like, I can't do that. Like it's not, <laughs> that's not me. I like yeah. I, I like to take time to like figure out what the problem is. And so when I switched to pathology, I was exactly. like. Yeah, this is it. So this is gonna be like off-topic. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is it, honey. Get it. Uh, <laughs> so this is gonna be like a. It's gonna be like off-topic. So Dr. Brown, we uh, had recently presented at the NMA or National Medical Association conference, and I was there to see it. And I think when you came on, like you had the green the green screen, and yeah, it like almost down. Yeah. Felt- <laughs>
1: Yeah, the green screen was falling down. My, I pushed my microscope over. It was, But you just got to roll with it. I mean, right. I was uh-huh. like, these poor people, what a dramatic entrance I made. And, and, and then after that, I was trying to do the green screen, right, because I had, the organizers had requested that we use a specific background, right? And so I was like, man, mm-hmm. my camera won't insert that specific background if I don't have a green screen. Uh uh-huh. And so I, I'm like looking on Amazon for green screens I can buy for $200. And I was like, no, let me just, I'm going to borrow one from a friend, my dear friend. Let me use one. And then lo and behold, I was practicing with the uh, camera out of the conference. And the green screen covered the whole, the whole thing. And I was like, look at this. I'm good to go. This is perfect. <laughs> just my size. And then, boom, opened the conference window. And it's like... The green screen covered just a portion of the thing, and so there was the, the correct background over a portion
0: mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. my
1: background, and then the rest of it was like pieces of my office sticking out on the edge. But you know what? I said, whatever. We're just going to roll with it. I hope you guys aren't distracted. And that's how life is. You just got to roll with it sometimes. And mm-hmm. they may never invite me back, and that's okay, no. too. I enjoyed that one, that one conference I gave for NMA.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so I remember seeing it like you playing around the green screen. And for some reason I thought like the your bookshelf like was I like, connected to the green screen and I was kind oh, yeah. frightened because I was like if right. her books fall on her and that happens, I'm like, Oh my god, girl, we cannot transmute through that thing <laughs> electronically to you? you.
1: Can't help me. <laughs> I know, and you know, I feel it like it's my own clumsiness.
0: Uh, and I feel like you would have still been given that presentation anyway. Like, don't mind a bookshelf. Like, I'm gonna still yeah, do it anyway. I'm
1: okay. <laughs> I could have had one arm broken. I would have just been like, let me just click through this PowerPoint with my right hand. It, we would have just rolled with it.
0: <laughs> I love that. And it, has that just been your life philosophy? You out. Just roll with whatever comes all your way. All day, life.
1: all day, every day. Mm-hmm. fake it till mm-hmm. you make it. Roll with it. When when I make a mistake and someone tells me, I'm like, thank you for that feedback, and I keep it moving. You know, I learn from it mm-hmm. and move on. I really try not to perseverate on mistakes, and I try not to perseverate on hiccups like that. If anything, it's hilarious. You saw I posted it on Twitter almost immediately. Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I I also like to get ahead of the story and be like, yeah, hey, I did this. I'm going to own it. My bad. I hope you guys enjoyed the free entertainment. (laughs) So, yeah, I actually, you know, that's pretty much my life on a day-to-day basis, though. It's just Mm -hmm. chaos.
0: But some way it it, it comes to, in a way, to have an effect at the end of the day, good or bad, and you kind of go on from there, basically. Yeah,
1: it works out. It works Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, no, I did have a question. What What is your mentoring or teaching style like at the Scope? I feel like it's hilarious, but like you still get through the case at the end, but I just wanted to hear from you what, what it's like.
1: I am very casual at the Scope. Like we're laughing, mm-hmm. hopefully we're laughing. And it's kind of different depending on where, because I sound at the VA and I sound at Sanford, So stanford dermpath you know it's typically the the fellows maybe a dermatology resident and a couple of other maybe a path resident or two and i keep it real casual we're cracking jokes we're speeding through the cases just very loose at the va um it's normally just me and another resident and it's been first years on so i've been trying to take a lot more time to go Mm -hmm. through the basics and a lot less time for like making jokes but i do still try to keep it casual like i people call me Ryan, I want them to ask questions, I want them to question me and why I'm saying things are the way they are, and just to stay Mm -hmm. curious, and that, that is my, my philosophy is, like, people should be having fun at work, no, it's not our job's job to make us happy, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we should be trying to have a good time at work, is my opinion, and in our interactions with each other, we should be trying to have a good time at work,
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And it is interesting the the difference from like working on the floors versus working in at the scope, because it with the with the floors, you have this team of residents from junior to the most senior resident. And the attending most times interacts with the senior resident, for which then the senior resident tells the junior resident what the plan is. But like switching yeah. I notice that I was with the attending right away. And so it was such a different dynamic from my perspective. And it was like, wait, you know, I clammed up at first. Like, what do I do? Like, what's going on right now? But I feel like with pathology, it's more like, because it's such a, it brings itself to be such a teaching field that like, you know, it it becomes an ease in of being a first year into um, being with the attending at the scope and kind of learning what you can as a first year or, or grasping whatever tidbits of knowledge that's given out.
1: Yeah, it's so true, and mm-hmm. there's just so much to learn about pathology, and it's really not a field you're going to learn much about in med school. It's not like internal medicine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so we really got to be mindful, especially of first years and their need mm-hmm. for direct instruction at the scope, really for everyone, but yeah.
0: Yes, Sometimes I'm, I mean, I'm doing fellowship now, so I'm just like, what? Is that a neuron right there? And I'm like patting myself yeah, on the back. Right. and I'm like, okay, yes, I got it. <laughs> yeah, like, yes, right? Little it.
1: wins. You should yes. be celebrating yourself. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know, I, before, before we started recording, I was like listening to Whitney Houston in the background and doing my little singing and dancing is how I hype myself up before recording. It's just to let everybody know. <laughs> um <laughs> you
1: should record that part too and make it a part of the pre-show.
0: Re- <laughs> I don't know, man. I want to hear my like horrible singing voice, but uh <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I know I should probably make this part of the pre show, right? Just to entertain people and like get them more hyped up in the morning when before listening. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I'd appreciate um, that. I know you'd be like, alright, alright, it's gonna be a good day today. Um <laughs> I wanted to transition, and I think we sort of, I don't know if we talked about it or not, but I wanted to transition to, um, there was a post on Twitter a little while ago, sometime this year, where you talked about the, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, your experience of of going to AP classes uh, because of being black. If you can share that story again and...
1: Oh, absolutely. So mm-hmm. when I went to, I believe it was in middle school, I was making straight A's like 95 and above in all my classes. And my dad was basically like, why aren't you in honors, gifted, talented, whatever. And so he went to my guidance counselor and was like, she should be in, in advanced classes. And and the guidance counselor said, We automatically screened for that. If she was supposed to be in those classes, she would be. And my dad told her, Pull up her report card. And they pulled up my report card and the guidance counselor was just like, Oh. I took the test, got like one point away from the highest possible score you can get on the test. And they I was mm-hmm. in gifted and talented classes like the week after that so it was it was something my dad had to actively advocate for me to have for them to mm-hmm. even consider that and the reason i posted that is because someone put up an article that talked about how black students are under selected or under screened for those type of programs and i was like yeah that was my exp- that was exactly my experience i simply was not screened for it and mm-hmm. even though they claim that they're they're they have an algorithm or system that automatically catches students like that i mean obviously Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. and then it kind of didn't stop there so that was middle school when i was transitioning to high school and met with the guidance counselor about what classes i was going to select there was kind of like a general rule that you should take two ap classes and 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 max out there and i was like no i want to take four ap classes i want to take the actual maximum that i'm that i can take and and they Mm -hmm. i was they said to me why don't you play basketball instead they wanted me to play basketball Mm
0: -hmm. take
1: they did but to be fair to be fair i did play basketball in middle school and i was on the team and but it's like i was so confused by that because i'm not going to the wnba Uh, i Mm -hmm. mean that was not it wasn't like i was so good at basketball that i should be pursuing that to get a college scholarship or anything. I was just, I happened to be on the team. And um, they were really hesitant to, to let me take the four honors classes. But looking at my report card, like, why wouldn't you think I could take four honors classes, you know?
0: Right, right. And then,
1: you know, I, I went, I took the max honors classes pretty much every year in high school. And I graduated second in my class, out of a class that started with 800 people. So I I, I think about those stories and I don't necessarily, I'm not like hurt by that. I'm just like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't think people always realize the ways they try to hold people back.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But no one knows you better than you. Yep. No one knows you better than you. No one knows what you're capable of better than you. No. And so I just encourage people when, when someone's telling you what's best for you. Just think to yourself, how could this person know, possibly know, mm-hmm. what's best for me better than I can know what's best for me? Yeah. And that that has never failed me.
0: Were there any experiences in medical school that were similar?
1: Actually, no. My medical school was incredibly, incredibly diverse. Baylor College mm-hmm. of Medicine, um, they actually had a feeder program with the University of Houston that basically targeted underrepresented students in medicine to Mm -hmm. to go directly to baylor college of medicine after they graduated and so we always had a lot of people of color in our classes Mm -hmm. and even i remember and it wasn't a matter of like oh people who aren't qualified are taking up spots for other people at least in my class i remember that our step scores our step one scores for the for the black students in my class, were two de- standard deviations above the national average for the mm-hmm. step one and one one standard deviation above Baylor's average step score. So not only were the black students performing up to standard, we were performing above standard for both the nation wow. and Baylor College of Medicine. So I'm mm-hmm. just thinking of like, to myself, why is it that we ha- we are doing – two standard deviations above the national average. Is that how good a black person has to be to get into medical school? Cause it certainly shouldn't be that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I
1: don't know. It just always kind of bothered me that it was like that, but, but we did have good representation.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. It, it's that, that old adage that I, I've heard, um, when applying, like you have to be twice as good just to get the same steps ahead type thing and if you're not achieving that or aiming towards that then it's kind of like you get swept in the wind because nobody's going to pay attention to your your grades and stuff and I I feel like and I'm hoping that it's getting better and different because it's not grades are not just the thing that people are looking at now it's more of like um, background and um, experiences like life experiences and you know how do you use all of that as a whole to evaluate a person in in general, and I I I think it's getting that way. But you know, I, I, when I applied to med school, um, you know, I had a different. Ex- I, when I applied to med school, I just it was it was an experience. So <laughs> I had I had support, which is which was great because I had I did have support for that. There was one person I remember just supporting me um, throughout the whole time before my application. And I think if it wasn't for him, um, Dr. Milling, Dr. David Milling, if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I would have applied on my second term because mm-hmm. I didn't get in the first time, mm-hmm. and so it was it was great, and he was a black physician too, so it was you know awesome like, okay, like subconsciously I can have that um, or see that that if they said I can, if he says I can do it, then I can do it um, and build myself up in that aspect so, so yeah that's um, great.
1: I'm so glad mm-hmm. you applied the second time yeah. don't give up
0: Yes, that is true, yes, and for mm-hmm. any you know pre med or um, college student uh, anybody who's applying for medicine or anything in uh, any profession that's true don't give up at all uh, and just keep on trying and see what happens and you'll find your way that's what I would yeah. say you know do you what do you feel are ways um, we can diversify in pathology
1: we already touched on this a little bit, but mm-hmm. actually having more Black people in pathology, or more people of color, I should say, in pathology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and increased exposure for those people in pathology is great. I think mm-hmm. you also need, and part of that is something that has to start fairly young, right? Like, right. because once someone gets to the point where they're applying to medical school. A lot of their path is going to be determined by the things that they did previously, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, it's almost like mm-hmm. you need, we need to be like in high schools or middle schools being like, hey, this could be your career too. Right. But also something that Stanford's doing is they're having research internships, basically, summer research internships with um, HBCUs. And so it's hopefully going to be sort of a feeder experience where the, these these students, these medical students come and they um, do research or it's remote during COVID, right. of course. But after this research experience that they'll want to apply to pathology and, and the hope would be that, th- you know, some of them would apply to Sanford, maybe.
0: Right. And, and, and come and here. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I think that's the awesome. goal is just more exposure to in that sense is a more targeted exposure than what I was talking about earlier is of going into classrooms Mm -hmm. and youth Mm -hmm. programs and things like that. It's more targeted. So I think a little bit of both maybe will get us going in the right direction.
0: Mm -hmm. It's tough though Mm -hmm.
1: too, because you have to recruit people to the program who are going to be, in the minority, right? They're not going to see a lot of faces in a right. particular program, right? And so you have to get someone to come here, despite the fact that the program may not be that diverse to begin with. Yeah, right. And it can be mm-hmm. it could be alienating to be in that role, but the, yeah, the can, change has to start somewhere.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that economy too, especially like if you if you're going to a place where it's it's um, being in a I guess in a student perspective, and you're going to a place where it's trying to increase that minority portion of students, but they don't see themselves mostly in, like, others who are not really represented highly, then it's, you know, they come in, like, okay, I like, I want to do it, but, like, would they really understand the problems that are, like, difficulties or can I trust them with whatever sort of difficulties I may have along the way and basically get me where I need to be, so that I can succeed and stuff like that, so exactly. but it starts, and you know, and yeah. we always hope that we can encourage more people to come into pathology and laboratory medicine in general of all aspects, and um, yeah. you' know, going from there. Where can people find you in uh, on social media? They
1: can find me on Twitter. I don't mm-hmm. really check my Facebook, and I don't really mm-hmm. use Instagram that much, so Twitter mm-hmm. is where it's at, and uh, my Twitter handle is at RyanMDMBA, yeah. yeah, so feel free to hit me up.
0: Especially if you're in the Palo Alto area, you'd be like, what's up? Oh. I know, right? Yeah, if you're in town, we can do um, a socially distanced visit. <laughs> <laughs> Basically having a Zoom meeting, like, in a coffee shop for a <laughs> Two, like, tables of course to each other.
1: <laughs> or we could meet outside, you know? Outside oh, yeah. is safe, right? Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you, do you have any, like, final words uh, for the audience, before we head off?
1: Just that I think pathology has been really a gift to my life, and mm-hmm. it could be a gift to yours, too, if it's something that you're interested in exploring. I really encourage you to find a mentor who's going to lift you up and pull you into the field.
0: Alright. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being part of the podcast. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great <laughs> talking to you. Yes.
0: Hi again, friends. Well, this is it for today's episode. Thank you for taking the time on of your busy day to listen to the diversified math Hope you enjoyed the episode. And I hope to see you soon.